So I couldn't get you to sing. I couldn't, I couldn't trap you into singing. You're too wary of all my wily ways. Right. Well, if I can't get you to sing, can I get you to tell a story? Gladly. Okay. There's a very good chance that cops get stories all the time that people just have a hard time believing. What's one in your mind that this is just, there's really no way anybody's going to buy this story? You would think. I have one story in mind. It was unbelievable except to her. And finally, she was prompted to come into the station with her husband, who, when he had found out what was going on, of course, he thought it was unbelievable also. Okay, so I'm super intrigued. Scam artists tend to target elderly people a little bit more than anyone else. So in this particular case, the wife had kept copious notes on every phone conversation that started with the very first phone call that said, Mrs. So-and-so, we're so glad you're alive. You actually won Publisher's Clearinghouse. So glad you're alive. Congratulations, you did not get hit by a bus. Yes. We are super excited. Right. A little surprised, but we're happy. Right. They went on to tell her they thought she was deceased, and so they had taken the check back, and they were more than willing to give give it to her. Now they've confirmed she's alive, but there's going to be a slight fee. It's held up right now at the Bank of Mexico, and if she can just pay something like $250, she could get that check released to her. And as she's keeping notes and she's very excited, they tell her, now keep this, keep this low key. We don't want your family to necessarily know yet. There'll be a time to tell her, just keep this between us. And so she said, okay, I can do that, no problem. And so another phone call came a few days later and said, hey, good news, the Bank of Mexico released it, but now it's held up at the Mexican border. Okay. It's going to be $300 to get it turned over to U.S. Customs. Okay. And, and again, she shows me her notes and, and shows me the date of this call and what was said and pays the $300, i got to add that, only to get another phone call several days later. Well, now it's with U.S. Customs. And now there's another fee. So you get where this is going. Isn't the Publishers Clearinghouse based in the United States of America? Well, there's a number of things that would give it away to most people. But again, they try to target people that they think are going to be easy marks. And of course, if they target 10 people and eight or nine of them say, that doesn't sound right, I'm not going to fall for it, it doesn't matter. As long as they get that one out of 10 or that one out of 20 that are going to give them several hundred dollars. And when they find somebody who seems compliant enough to keep paying this amount week after week and buying each new story and each new development, they're going to milk it for all it's worth. Well, this went on for weeks, like I said, and and she kept such a good journal of every conversation, which always ended with the same thing. It's not time to tell your family yet. You'll know when it's time. We'll let you know. It's going to be a big, big deal that you'll make. And so finally, she got to the point where she thought, boy, I've spent a lot of money a few thousand dollars now and this has gone on for several weeks and I should probably say something to my husband and she showed him the journal and of course immediately he saw this is unbelievable there's no way that any of this was ever real my wife has been tricked and what really alerts them is that as this scam seems to be coming to a close they say tomorrow's the day tomorrow's the day that we're going to come to your house and bring you this check it's going to arrive in an armored truck and you'll know it's us because not only will we be there in an armored truck hey, with a giant check. Truck. Here comes the mailman. No, here comes the trash truck. No. Oh, wait, here comes the armored truck. <laughs> well, here's the best part. They gave the name of the driver. And as she struggled okay. with that for a little bit, she had written it down as best as she could when they said it. Okay. And as she looked at it, she said, his name is going to be Michael Mickle Mitchell 
I said, could I look at that? She said, sure. So I look at it. They must have spelled it for because it was spelled as near as I can remember correctly. Okay. It said Mikhail Gorbachev. Oh, my goodness. That's who <laughs> the driver Gorbachev. of the truck will be. Well, times are tough for our former president of the, <laughs> the USSR. Talk about being overqualified. I'm bringing a check to you. Then I must deliver for Little Caesars. <laughs> so when I, when I say this out loud, I look at husband, who has oh. been quiet up to this point, oh, and he just puts his head down, kind of oh, shakes his head. That is so sad. And I said, Mrs. So-and-so, do you remember who Mikhail Gorbachev is? And she said, no, I don't. I said, well, you got to think back to the 1980s, birthmark, USSR, birthmark on the forehead, et cetera. And it started to dawn on her. Oh. And, and now the concern wasn't so much, okay, well, we've lost a lot of money. We're never going to get back. Are they really going to send somebody to our house? Will there be more that they try to exploit us for? Or right. will we become victims even further? So then it became a real, almost a, a very serious threat, which I didn't believe that they were going to come there. I didn't no, believe that was no. going to be an issue. But in their minds, that was a possibility. Sure. And so now there was a very real fear. They had been preyed upon all this time with this unbelievable piece of fiction. And now... They've got something that they're legitimately worried about. Right. Along with their bank account being... Of course. A lot lower than it Pillaged was. and... Right. Yes. Man, so, I'm so sorry. Yeah, it was very sad. We get those a lot. Uh, people just don't see those red flags. They use scare tactics. Hey, we're right. going to take you to jail because you owe the IRS, so you better send us some iTunes gift cards. Right, exactly, because, you know, the IRS... <laughs> they love those iTunes they gift do. cards, They do. They love right? iTunes. Yeah. They love Target. You know, if you could just get us a few more <laughs> Target gift cards, we're going to yes. be really happy. Yes. Thank but, you. again, they target a specific audience, sure. and the ones that they can get to fall for, they prey on those fears, or even those expectations, those high hopes, because, let's face it, who wouldn't want to win Publishers Clearinghouse? Of course. Incredible. Absolutely. Right? That's right. I just wonder if the man's voice really sounded like Ed McMahon, or if it was maybe from not these United States. <laughs> Typically, they are not oh. from these United States, yes. Well, that is an unbelievable story. But we've got another one for you right after this little musical interlude. Hey, you're listening to The Preacher and the Policeman. My name is LJ. I'm The Preacher. And I'm Andy. I'm The Policeman. If you're just joining us, you've got to go back and listen because that was just an unbelievable story that somebody told this sweet lady and prayed on her. But I want to share with you, along with Andy, I want to share with you an unbelievable story that some people just have a hard time believing. And so they've come up with ideas or theories for why the unbelievable story I'm about to tell you is not believable. But I would suggest that the stories they come up with to prove the unbelievable story unbelievable are even more unbelievable than the unbelievable story. And here it is. There was a man by the name of Jesus who walked among us, lived among us. He was a carpenter. He was a preacher. He was a prophet, claimed to be the Messiah. But the Romans crucified him, nailed him to a cross, and publicly humiliated and executed him in front of everybody. Right. There was really no question medically that he was dead on the cross. And history confirms it. Hadrian, I believe, and Trajan, and Pliny, and Josephus, and several others. Absolutely, over and over. Over and over. You have biblical history, but you have extra-biblical history, which just means anything outside of the Bible. Confirm that this Jesus lived, this Jesus died publicly. 
And no one in antiquity ever disputed the existence of Jesus or his death. Not at all. In fact, our calendar is actually based on the existence of Jesus. You have B.C., which I know has been changed to before Common Era, but for so long it was B.C., before Christ and A.D., and Odomini, which is year of our Lord. Right. So you have all of these evidences that point to Jesus was a real man. So if Jesus was a real man, Jesus really was crucified, and Jesus really died, then how do we explain the fact the tomb is really empty? Now, I'm a man of faith. Andy's a man of faith. We both believe Jesus rose from the grave, Absolutely. which is what we base our faith on. Paul said in the scripture, if Jesus is not raised, our faith is vain. We're still in our sins. But he is raised. We can be forgiven. Yes. So that's the beauty. But there are some who claim he has not risen. And there are some who claim the resurrection is unbelievable and is not really real. So in order to account for the resurrection not being real, they came up with theories. And I'm telling you, these theories are awesome because they're just incredible. And by that, I mean they are not credible. They're unbelievable. And by that, I mean they're not believable. The first theory is known as the swoon theory. The swoon theory is not what happens whenever a middle school guy meets a middle school girl and just kind of falls against the locker. The swoon theory is the idea that Jesus never really died. The scripture declares and history confirms that Jesus died. The swoon theory suggests he did not die. He only appeared to die, that he swooned on the cross. Basically, he faked everybody out. It was a deep fake, or as some would call, fake news. To begin to take a look at that story, and if it really is true, what would have to happen is we would need to talk to the medical examiner. But, boy, we're just fresh out of 2,000-year-old medical examiners. <laughs> <laughs> so in order to do that, let's read the newspaper headlines, and let's see what happened on Jesus's last night and day on the earth. The Bible teaches us in Luke 22, and Luke was an excellent historian, that Jesus went into a garden, he prayed, and while he was praying, that sweat like great drops of blood fell to the ground. This is the one account of the Gospels that Jesus would sweat great drops of blood. Right. Why do you think that's interesting that Luke recorded that? Well, let's not forget what Luke's profession was. That's he right. He was a doctor. He was a doctor, so Luke would know exactly what's going on here. And the medical community does have a name for this. It's called hematidrosis. Hematidrosis. Now, you can impress your friends and win it at words with friends or scrabble. But hematidrosis is when somebody is under such high degree of psychological, physical, emotional, mental stress that they begin to sweat blood. I think all of us could agree Jesus was under a fair amount of stress. Absolutely. He knows this is it. He came for this cause. He's about to be arrested. He'll be whipped to within an inch of his life. He will carry all the sins of all people of all time on him, and he will be crucified like a criminal. That's a stressful day at the office. Jesus spent that night in an all-night prayer meeting fighting against all of hell. Jesus was under that incredible amount of stress. After that, Pilate had him beaten, scourged with a cat of nine tails to within an inch of his life to the point of death, but would not let him die. Because Pilate intended to release Jesus. Absolutely. He, he wanted nothing right. to do. He's an innocent man. Which I find interesting that Pilate, being handsomely paid to convict and condemn criminals, couldn't find a fault in Jesus. Jesus had sweat great drops of blood. He's been beaten to within an inch of his life. And then on Calvary, the Romans have driven spikes, some believe between five to seven inches long, into Jesus' wrists and feet, hoisting him up on a cross for everybody to see. And that's where we get our word excruciating. Excruci, out of the cross. 
This pain was so unbearable, so barbaric, that they had to coin a a term for it, out of the cross. Most people think Jesus died because of the nails and maybe he bled out. That's not true. Crucifixion wasn't from bleeding out. It was from asphyxiation. Right. He just couldn't breathe. Right. As Jesus hung between heaven and earth, he pushed himself against the nails on his feet to lift himself up, to get a breath, to take it in. And then when the pain in his feet was too excruciating, he fell back down right. and then did it again to keep taking breaths until finally he couldn't do that anymore and he would die. But Jesus was crucified on a holiday and the Romans did not want him hanging on the cross all weekend so they decided let's just finish him off and they took a spear and pierced his side and blood and water flowed from his side right now once again Luke being a physician would know exactly what's going on here that that spear has pierced the pericardium around his heart Jesus literally died of a broken heart right so history declares it the scripture teaches it history confirms it Jesus literally died And let's not forget that the experts at crucifixion, the Romans, who did this on a regular basis, in fact, maybe one of the reasons it's speculated that Pilate didn't want to kill him right away is because he was kind of on thin ice back in Rome because he was known to be heavy-handed. His entrance to Jerusalem at the beginning of the occupation proved that he was willing to kill, whether young or old, he was a little bit bloodthirsty. And now we have not only Pilate, who will not shy away from such a horrible execution, but we also have the men who carry that out, that know what they're doing. And we notice that their testimony about Jesus being dead is not in refute. Not at all. So these are great eyewitnesses, the executors themselves. Yes. So there's no refutation in that day that Jesus really died. But there is in our day. There, there are those among us who believe in the swoon theory that Jesus only faked his death on the cross when the Romans put him in the tomb, that the cool, damp air of that garden tomb, that cave, if you will, that it resuscitated him. So let's just, let's just suppose. Let's suppose Jesus did fake his death on the cross. Let's suppose that they put him in the tomb and he was unconscious, but that the damp, cool air of that grave resuscitated him. Let's just say he did that. If he wriggles out of all of those grave clothes, pounds and pounds of grave clothes that are all around him, he still has to roll away a massive stone that seals the tomb. And he has to fight off several highly trained, heavily armed guards who guard the tomb, whose, if Jesus escapes, it's their life for his. Right. So there's no way they're letting him out of there. And if he does, wriggle out of the grave clothes, roll away the stone, fight off the guards. He still has to convince the disciples while he's in a beaten, bloodied, bruised, crucified, freshly crucified body that, hey guys, I'm victorious and you can put your faith in me. All this after walking seven miles from... Jerusalem to Emmaus, that, with feet that have been nailed to a cross, the, nailed the, to a cross. the dehydration, everything else that we've talked about, right. and he's going to do a seven-mile hike. Right. That's a tough task for a healthy man in his 30s. That would be unbelievable. It's impossible yes. for anybody right. who's been scourged, Correct. crucified, and laid in a tomb, sealed and guarded. So the fact that people believe this, I believe, takes more faith than to believe Jesus really rose from the grave. That's a good way to put it. But... It does point to one indisputable fact. The tomb is empty. Tomb is empty. And if the tomb is empty, we've got to, we have to explain why. Right. If it's not that he rose, then why is it empty? 
Okay, second theory, and this we won't go as long on this one. The next theory is called the wrong address theory, and it's exactly what it sounds like. The women just went to the wrong address. When you read the Gospels, the women go to the tomb, and somebody says, he's not here. Well, there are those among us in academia, even Christendom perhaps, who suggest that the women went to the wrong address, and so the reason the gardener said he's not here is because, oh, he's not here, you have the wrong house. He's two tombs down. Right. Let's just suppose the women were so bleary-eyed and so, and so distraught that their Messiah has just been crucified and buried, and they went to the wrong address. Don't you think when they came into the town and said, he's arisen, he's arisen, don't you think the Romans and the Jews would have said, oh, <clears throat> right this way, ladies. Well, I think we can spend the least amount of time on this one also because it's the most easy to disprove. With the first theory, at first it may sound a little bit clever, especially if somebody doesn't really understand how drastic the suffering was and what Jesus went through. Once you explain it and peel back the layers, you realize, okay, that really doesn't make much sense. Right. This one just is absolute silliness because... <laughs> As somebody who would investigate something, and let's look at anything like uh, wrongful entrustment with a car or other property that you would have, it's real easy to verify who's right and who's wrong right. by going to the source. Who's the owner? And in this oh, case, sure. who's the owner of the tomb? I think that if they were at the wrong address, Joseph right. of Arimathea could say, hey guys, I like the enthusiasm, right. <laughs> but you've had the wrong tomb. He's, exactly. It's still there. Everything's still good. Stone's there. Right, right. No, no worries. You guys, you're actually two tombs over. That's exactly right. <laughs> That's right. It's but like going to a garage sale. I thought they were having a garage sale today. Oh, no, that's two houses down. Two houses down. See the lawn chair with the little sign in the front? <laughs> right. I think Joseph would have dispelled that immediately. And another writer had pointed out that this was a private cemetery. This wasn't a public cemetery where you would have had people wandering in, where you would have had uh, even somebody outside of a gardener. Maybe that's where they got the idea that it was a gardener that was in there working that early morning. But I think that it comes back to ownership, and Joseph would have clearly said, I appreciate where you guys right. were going with this, but <laughs> right, right. we're going <laughs> to... Love the pep, love the spirit. Right, right. Let's, let's just slow down for a let's second. Let's dial it down a little bit. Let me take you to where he is. Certainly Joseph could have, would have. The Romans could have, would have. The right. Jews could have, would have. Anybody. Right. right. Anybody who wanted to dispel the idea that Jesus really had risen, yes. conquered the grave, could have said, right this way. But what's also interesting is the response of the Sanhedrin to what occurred, because there was never a case made that this was the wrong address by them. They believed, right. like we said, they believed the story of the guards. That was not in dispute. And at the same time, as we look back at these events, we realize, okay, so who had motive here? The Romans and the Sanhedrin right. had no motivation to move the body no. or to confuse anybody with locations. No. The disciples were powerless to do anything. And Scared and scared to I'm, death. I'm locked doors. Right. <laughs> Don't right. let him in. Don't let him in. Exactly. So that's not happening. Right. But let's go to the last theory, the oldest theory in the book, which literally is in the book. Mm -hmm. This is the story. It's the bold-faced lie that the soldiers who were there at the tomb began to spread in order to get everybody to buy that. No, no, no. Jesus didn't really rise. We don't know what happened. Mm -hmm. We believe his disciples came and stole the body. Right. I guess all of us were sleeping. Maybe they slipped melatonin into our water, but all of us were sleeping, <laughs> and the disciples came and stole the body. Right. There are some problems with this theory, 
not the least of which is it is life for life. If they let the disciples come in and steal the body, there's right. a very good chance those guards lose their life because they deserted on their duty. So yes. I don't see that happening. Secondly, aren't the disciples the one who ran away when Jesus was being arrested? Where did they get this courage and curry the courage to leave the locked doors, come out, face the guards, roll the stone away, steal the body, right. and then go to their deaths? Here, to me, is the most compelling evidence. The disciples, all of them, went to their deaths as martyrs. Right. John was as close to a martyr as you can get without being a martyr. They tried, and he didn't die. God protected him. But all of them went to their deaths proclaiming Jesus has risen. Before this, all of them ran because they didn't want to be crucified with him. Next right. to him. After this, all of them went to their deaths saying, no, he's alive. Right. We saw him. We know he's alive. He filled us with his spirit. Our lives are changed. He's victorious. We'll be victorious. You can take my life. You can't have my faith. Where'd they get that courage? I don't think they could have rallied and done that. <laughs> and, and then we also have to ask ourselves, why was there this long period of time, these several weeks before they start getting the word out. What were they doing? We know Jesus appeared to them here and there. He spent some time with them before he ascended again. But what was happening? If they had built up this courage and this momentum to rally to go steal the body, why would that have all of a sudden been paused? <laughs> sure. Only to that's go great... really nowhere. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> so looking at timelines, okay, I think now it's going to be important too. We look at this timeline. Right. That's kind of like at the end of Nemo where all of the fish get into the water and then there's little baggies yeah. and they look at each other like, okay, now what? What comes yeah, next? Yeah, what, what do the disciples do? They steal the body. They get out there. Yeah, we got his body. We're going to tell him he's risen. And break. And break. Yeah, that's right. Okay, and now what do we do? Right. So those theories, they really hold no water. They are more unbelievable than the story some consider to be unbelievable that Jesus Christ laid down his life, was buried, and he rose from the grave. And all the other theories, there are fringe theories out there, yes. but all of them still point to the same indisputable and irrefutable fact. The tomb is empty. And if it's not empty because he rose, it has to be empty for another reason. Right. But I think you could say that we've gone through the ones that are the most widely accepted theories, and they are more unbelievable than the unbelievable story that Jesus Christ, first off, loved us enough to come to earth, lay down his life, be buried, and then take back his life yes. when he walked out of the tomb victorious over death, hell, and the grave. Yes. And the good news is, ladies and gentlemen, the evidence points to Jesus really is risen. And you can ask me, you can ask Andy, you can ask anybody whose life has been changed through the power of the gospel. You could ask any of the eyewitnesses back in that day, over 500 at one time, and they would all tell you the same thing. Oh, no. Preacher, we saw him. Why do you think, so we brought the 500 witnesses. There was this movement at some point later in history to say that the tomb was empty or it was the wrong address. There was also a, a period in time before maybe the 20th century where there was the idea that Jesus didn't exist at all. And that's sure. mostly been dismissed at this point because there's sure. just too many extra biblical sources that say otherwise. Absolutely. What is the motive or why would somebody be attracted to the idea that the resurrection didn't happen or that Jesus didn't exist? Why would somebody want to drift towards those kind of ideas? Is there some reason that 
it just makes it easier? Is it just too unbelievable? Or in their mind, is it just more comfortable to believe that? What do you think is their motivation? It's a great question. I truly don't, can't speak to motive to know what it is for sure, but I'm going to just guess. Their motive is if Jesus really is who he said he is and did what he said he did, then they have to do what he said you have to do, which is you have to love your neighbor as yourself. You have to love the Lord your God with all your heart. You have to love your enemies and pray for your enemies. You have to stop lusting because that's adultery. You have to stop hating because that's murder. Those are some pretty high bars Jesus sets that we have to jump over through the power of his gospel. So if he's not real and what he did is not real, then we really don't have to do any of that. Mm. But if it is, and he is, then we do. Yeah. And that's that's pretty like that's a lot of laying down yourself to pick up your cross to follow after him. Yes. But I would much rather do that because he is risen than just hope cross my fingers that when I lay my head down and my close my eyes in death that there's nothing there on the other side. I think the evidence points to it overwhelming that he really lived, he really died, and he really rose. That's beautiful. <laughs> and this altar's open right here. <laughs> and hey, ladies, just very quickly, let me say this before we close the show for today. Jesus, he was on your side. The whole idea, as far as the witnesses are concerned, the women were the first ones who ran to the tomb, not the disciples, yeah. but the women are the first to run to the tomb, which back in their day, and this is just the way the world was, many of the women their testimony was not even admissible in court That's true. Be simply because they were women. Now, that was a misogynistic, patriarchal type of society right. there in that Greco-Roman culture. But Jesus wrote the women in and said, they were the first ones there, they were the first ones there. Shame on you disciples, but the women got there first. If that was not the true story, the disciples would not have wanted to purport that story because it made them look fearful and made the women look fearless. Right. Right. But it was the truth, Excellent and so they reported point. it yes. because it was the truth. So much evidence, so much history, but most of all, so much power is in the gospel. And that resurrection of Jesus Christ is just one part of this beautiful, glorious gospel that has changed my life. And mine. And who can change yours if you'll allow him to. I know we've not done this before, but since we have been covering part of the gospel, I think it'd be very fitting and appropriate. If we prayed right now, wherever you are, if you're driving, please pull off to the side of the road or keep your eyes open. doesn't matter. And let's pray. If you have never heard the gospel before, which you heard part of it today, but the gospel is Jesus came, Jesus died, Jesus was buried, Jesus rose. If you've never responded to the gospel and given your life over to God, this would be a great day to start that. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the gospel. Thank you for the power that is inherent in the gospel. Thank you especially for coming to this earth, for laying down your life. Thank you, God, for having the power to pick your life back up, for rising from the grave, giving us hope that one day we too will rise from the grave. I pray for all those who are listening, especially those who are struggling, maybe cynical. In their faith, I ask you to help them to trust you, to believe you. Help them to take the first step in their relationship with you, God, to come to a place of faith and repentance where you will allow them to come clean with you and you will forgive them of their sins. I pray, God, you administer to all those who are listening. Let the power of your glorious gospel minister to people today. In Jesus' name, Jesus name. Amen. 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 Hey, thanks so much for tuning in to The Preacher and the Policeman. Next time, our next episode, we're going to kind of continue on this whole apologetic theme, which simply means a defense of the faith. And we're going to take a look at it from a policeman's 
perspective, kind of a forensic evidentiary perspective and a preacher's perspective, which is more of a faith perspective. I think it'll be a good balance between the two. And next time we're going to cover a topic called, is there really only one way to God? Great topic. A lot of people in our world think there is more than one way to God, but is there? We're going to talk about that. And looking forward to spending some time with you next time. My name is LJ. I'm the preacher. I'm Andy. I'm the policeman. So be blessed. And be safe. <laughs>